And I'm going to go ahead and ask Pastor Trenner to bless us with God's word one more time. And may this not be the last. <laughs> but, uh, All right. Thanks, Joey. I think what he's referring to is that I agreed to be here for three months, but I wasn't going to be here on Easter with you because uh, we're doing a baptism at uh, Grace Orange and my grandson is uh, scheduled to be baptized. And I said, I got to be there. Uh, He's put it off three times now because I wasn't around. And I said, "Okay." But anyway, we're. uh, I'm. grown to enjoy being with you. Not that I haven't ever, but you've grown on me just a little bit here. But I've, I've tried to be just as much me as I could be when I'm here with you so that you would grow weary of me and be glad when it's over. <laughs> Do we do it that way? You know, I didn't give any thought at all. I know next Sunday's Easter. I gave no thought that today is Palm Sunday. And I said, I'm working my way through Colossians, and this is the last passage that's there. And so that's all that was in my mind is, you know, what's it, what, do we, what, what do we find when we read the end of chapter 4 in Colossians? And uh, I wanted to address that. And I'm going, I don't know what that has to do with Palm Sunday. Other than the thought crossed my mind, because Jesus, knowing what was ahead, entered the city. Knowing that uh, shortly, within a week, uh, he would be suffering greatly. And uh, I'm recalling that uh, night in the garden in which he was arrested that night. The last night he was with his disciples and they went to the garden and he prayed. And his prayer was, uh, Father, I don't want to do tomorrow. You know, let this cup pass from me. They weren't drinking, and he didn't want to pass the cup. He was talking about the next day. A bitter cup that he knew was coming. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We read in Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And that whole message of what Jesus did for us on the cross, and the empty tomb, his resurrection... And his ascension to heaven and and the coming of his spirit of God upon and into and dwelling in the believer in Christ is what motivated what we're reading about today. All this list of people that were fellow workers with uh, with Paul because of the transformation that the spirit of God had done in their lives through the cross of Jesus and the love of God and the Spirit's empowerment in their lives. And uh, we're going to look at some of these people today. And it's, uh, things don't always work out like we expect, In uh, at least in my life and in my faith and my walk. I have uh, some anticipations of how I things, think things ought to be. And I've discovered that they don't always happen that way. Um, Be grateful that I'm not God. I wouldn't have written the story the same way. I wouldn't have put Paul into prison and have him beheaded there at the end of his life. Uh, There would be some kind of triumphant thing. The entire Roman Empire would fall on their knees. You know, I would I would create a a little different story here. But um, what we find here at the end of the story, uh, the letter that Paul, while in prison, 
wrote this letter of encouragement to the believers in the city of Colossae. And uh, I just wanted to look at just a little bit of background to his imprisonment. <clears throat> in 57 A.D., let's see, 33, 43, 53, about 24 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. <clears throat> Paul is headed back to Jerusalem. It's the end of his third missionary trip. And while in Jerusalem, and he was warned ahead of time, but while he was there, he was falsely accused of desecrating the temple by taking a Gentile with him. <clears throat> it was rumor. Nobody saw it. It's just assumption. And it's amazing what assumptions do to us when they kind of make sense. So he went to Jerusalem and... Um, with this accusation, uh, followed three years of imprisonment and legal wrangling that went on in Paul's life until he appealed to Caesar for his judgment on his case, on his life. He knew this would place him in Rome. I don't know that he knew that it would place him in a house arrest that would give him some degree of freedom in meeting people and talking with people. But after two years of having been in this house arrest and a number of people working with him and, and reaching out and touching people, um, he was released uh, for five years in which he traveled to the churches. And there is uh, some evidence in, in history and in writing that uh, during those uh, five years he traveled to Spain. In 67 A.D., after the end of the five years, he was returned to prison, and the year later, he was beheaded by Nero. And it's during his first imprisonment that Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians. And uh, <clears throat> I want to just bring to your remembrance something that we shared last week with you, and that's from Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. He didn't say, stay on your knees and beg with an attitude of fear. He's writing from prison. Knowing very well that his life might be taken from him. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a, word, a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. For Paul, prison was not a confinement, a restriction to the gospel. Asking the Colossians to pray for him that he would be able to speak forth even in his context and in that situation. Here in this passage, uh, beginning in verse 7, there are fellow, he lists the fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And that's a quote from verse 11 in that 
passage. Paul described those with him in his imprisonment with a, a, a number of names. Uh, beloved brothers, faithful servants, faithful brothers, fellow bond servants, fellow prisoners, bond slaves of Jesus, fellow workers for the kingdom of God. I found all those in his letters and many of these right here in, in Colossians. These are all names that he gave to the people who worked with either in prison with him or were allowed the freedom to come to him in his house arrest and to work with him. And this list of uh, Paul's fellow workers in prison uh, follows. While in prison, in that first year of imprisonment, Paul wrote three letters. He wrote them to the Ephesian believers, to the Colossi believers, and to a man in the Colossian church, Philemon. All three of these letters were written in that first year that he was there. And uh, Tychicus, we find in this uh, text, along with Onesimus, delivered these letters to Ephesus and to Colossae and to Philemon. And in this letter, he named eight men that were with him in Rome, either as prisoners or people who worked with him. And the first one he lists is Tychicus. In verse 7, it says, as, as to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. I'm sending Tychicus to you. He's been here with me. He's been a help to me in, in the context situation I'm in. And um, he's going to come to you. Uh, it goes on in verse 8, says, For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And we find, um, I was curious if Tychicus showed up someplace else in the New Testament, in Paul's letters. And we find that uh, in Paul's letters, uh, in Ephesians 6, in a list of people that were with him, uh, he's there. I found in his letter to Titus, Tychicus is listed again. And in 2 Timothy, he is listed. Um, so he was quite a, uh, a comrade, comrade to uh, Paul during his imprisonment. And um, it's in 2 Timothy 4 that Tychicus is called a trusted courier for Paul. He's the one who delivered letters to people, carrying the letters to the Colossians, the Ephesians, to Philemon, to Titus, and to Timothy, his second letter. And that second letter that Tychicus brought to Timothy was the last letter that Paul ever wrote before he was uh, beheaded. Paul trusted him. He was a faithful man. He wasn't fearful of the risk of the travel of those days. We find in Acts 20 that Tychicus was a part of a group that traveled with Paul from Greece back up through Macedonia and to Asia. We also learn in that text that Tychicus was from Asia, and Asia is the location of Ephesus and Colossae. So when, when Tychicus was delivering these letters to Ephesus and Colossae and Philemon, he was going home. I'm trying to give you a little context of what life can be like when you follow the Lord and engaged in his work in this world and partner with others. For the sake of the gospel, to the lives of people who don't know. Even those who are your enemy, those who are the most immoral, those who are corrupt, those who would take your life. 
Those kind of fears were of no concern to Paul, nor to those who worked with him. And Tychicus was one of those faithful men. We find in verse 9 that with Tychicus, Paul also sent another man, Onesimus. And he's called our faithful and beloved brother who is one of your number. So he's from Colossae. And they, Tychicus and Onesimus, um, will inform you about our whole situation here. Onesimus' story is told in the letter that they were carrying to Philemon. Because you see, Onesimus at one point in time was a slave and his master was Philemon. But Onesimus ran away. And somewhere in the course of that activity, he ended up in Rome, either as a prisoner or somehow got connected and introduced to to Paul. But there in Rome, while Paul was in prison in this house arrest, uh, Paul shared with Onesimus the gospel and he believed. And in about um, a year's time, two years time, excuse me, at that, uh, uh, Onesimus grew in his faith to become a faithful minister servant alongside Paul. He calls him our faithful and beloved brother. And Paul was... um, uh, Paul was now sending Onesimus back to Philemon, the master. Onesimus knowing, I'm a free man in Christ now, but I'm going back as a slave to serve the man who took me in at one time and that I, uh, I shamed and ran away from. Now, will he receive me or will he kill me or what will he do? Onesimus at that point gave up his life to the Lord and said, I'm going because I believe this is right to do. And Paul said, um, and then in another letter in the context, he says, I'm sending Onesimus to you uh, because um, uh, this is right. He is, you are his master. I really want to keep him here. But I know that isn't right without your permission. So I'm sending him to you to receive him as a brother, not just as a slave, but as a brother. I'm sending him to you. And if you don't want him, you can send him back to me. And in even making that statement, he added value to Onesimus in his letter, in his statement to Philemon in the letter. So we have two men, Tychicus and Onesimus, uh, working with Paul there in the prison and now traveling together and uh and headed back to Ephesus and then to Colossae. We find a third man that is listed here, um, Aristarchus. And he's called my fellow prisoner. So he wasn't an outsider coming in to visit. Uh, He was a prisoner with Paul and evidently in this house arrest. But Aristarchus, uh, he sends you his greetings. He's not going anywhere. He's staying here with me, is essentially what Paul's saying. And he was included in a list of, of a group of people that, he, that Paul mentioned in the letter to Philemon, as well as this one in the letter to the Colossians. In Acts 19, we learned that uh, Aristarchus was from Thessalonica. So on the second missionary trip with Paul, when he went across Asia and, they, and remember he was going to Ephesus and the spirit wouldn't let him go. And there was, he had this vision and there was a man from Macedonia said, come to us. And so he crossed the Aegean Sea and went to Philippi. 
and then to Thessalonica and to Berea and then on down to, to Corinth and to Athens. And somewhere in that context, Aristarchus was, uh, uh, came to know the gospel and followed Paul. In Acts 20, he was called Paul's traveling companion during the third missionary trip. He traveled with Paul from Greece to Asia and on into Jerusalem. And we find in Acts 27 that he was also on the ship with Paul to Rome. I'm trying to give you the idea of the, the, the faithfulness of the men that hung around Paul. Their loyalty. Uh, their fearlessness, their devotion to the Lord. Those are markers for us. What God wants to do in each of our lives and can do and perform because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that's alive in us who believe in him. It was during the riots in Ephesus uh, that uh, Aristarchus was grabbed by the crowd and accused of speaking against the goddess uh, uh, Artemis. And uh, he and another companion were drug into the, uh, the, the forum area and the crowds were yelling at everybody because uh, somebody had started a rumor. It's amazing what rumors do, the ugly things. There's this rumor that took place uh, that um, uh, Aristarchus and uh, and another man uh, were siding with Paul and speaking against uh, their God. Uh, I just wanted to say that sometimes when you're a faithful follower in a ministry with somebody, it may be risky. Um, and it was for him at this time. It wasn't always safe to travel with Paul. We find that whole story in Acts chapter 19. And we find a fourth man that's listed there, and that's uh, Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom you receive instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, this Mark, uh, Barnabas' cousin, uh, shows up in several places in the New Testament. Uh, this is John Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark. And he wrote his Gospel during those five years that Paul was released from prison. So we had the, the time and the, the story, and it was during those same five years that he was with Peter, in, who was imprisoned. And so much of what we find in the, the uh, Gospel of Mark, what Mark would not have experienced firsthand, he got from Peter. But this is John Mark, the writer of the Gospel. And most likely, we find in Mark 14, the only place in any of the Gospels this story is mentioned, that on the night that Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and Jesus was being arrested, there's, a, there's one statement in the Gospel of Mark that says there was a young man there who started to flee and the guard grabbed his cloak and pulled it and he ran off naked. And that's the only place that that's mentioned. And it is the opinion of everybody I've read in the commentary that... Mark was telling his personal story because he was about that age. Um, and this would be consistent in another way, too, that we find in Acts chapter 12, that it was at John Mark's house is where the disciples often gathered in Jerusalem. 
And it was in John Mark's house that when Peter had been arrested and was released and came back and knocked on the door and, and they heard his voice, that can't be, it must be a ghost. Well, that was John Mark's house that Peter came to. That's where the disciples hung out. And John Mark was also uh, one who traveled with Barnabas and Saul back to Antioch before the two of them were sent on their first missionary trip, in which they took John Mark on that trip with them. They went from uh, from Tarsus, uh, Antioch, uh, and traveled uh, across the, the Mediterranean to the island of Cyprus, and then and traveled across Cyprus, and John Mark was with them. And this is the same John Mark that shows up in... Uh, <clears throat> Acts chapter 15, when Paul and Barnabas were beginning to do their second missionary trip and Barnabas wanted to take John Mark and Paul said no. And there was a big disagreement that came up because on the first trip, John Mark left them before they finished. He deserted them and Paul didn't want him there. He said, I can't trust him. I need people I can trust. And uh, that marked him for a while. Mark. Mark. but we find here in, uh, in these letters that, that Paul had been writing to the various churches that Mark was in Rome with Paul during his imprisonment. And in 2 Timothy 4, remembering this is the last letter that Paul wrote. During that time, in that second letter, uh, Paul said to Timothy, when you come to visit me, to return, return Mark to him when he comes to Rome because Mark was useful. Uh, there in 2 Timothy 4, this, this whole uh, exchange and dialogue, that uh, evidently Mark was in Ephesus, and Paul wanted Timothy to come and visit him in Rome in prison and said, when you come, bring Mark because he's useful to me. And I see a lot of hope for me. Uh, for all of us, that there are times when we may fail. There are times when we may um, not have been faithful. There have been, might have been times when we did thoughtless things um, and put ourselves at odds with people that we, we regarded as uh, people worthy of my trust. And they don't trust me because of what I did. I see this story and I see hope. John, the young man, a relative of Barnabas, out of whatever reason, left the team on Cyprus and went back home. Was on the outs with Paul. But now we find that Paul regards him so helpful that in his last days, I really would like Mark here with me because he's so useful to me. And I have discovered and have observed in ministry many times that uh, people who've done things that have been thoughtless, things that have been hurtful, things that created distrust, that God has a way of restoring a person, both through his grace and the hearts and lives of people offended, and also in the life of the one who offended. Can I learn from this? Well, Mark's an example for us. 
In Peter's letter, First uh, Peter chapter 5, uh, he says uh, he acknowledged, acknowledged Mark's presence with him in prison and called Mark his son. And that phrase, his son, as Paul uses it, uh, he uses that in reference to Timothy, whom he led to the Lord. And the assumption is made based on this, that when Peter calls uh, Mark his son, that Peter very well, as a disciple, having come to John Mark's house, could very well have been the one who led him to faith in Christ. Well, we find the fifth man that's listed here. And this is uh, Jesus, uh, who is called Justus. Oh, wrong language. I'm sorry. Also, Jesus, who is called Justice. I had a hard time calling him Jesus because there's only one Jesus, right? But uh, amazing. There are more people named that. Um, we have a Hispanic pastor here in, in the area, and his name is Jesus. And uh, I can handle that okay because it's Jesus. You know? I don't know why I said that, but I just did. So here's the fifth one, uh, justice. And, uh, and it says here in Colossians 4.11, These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. And he is in referencing here Mark, John Mark, and justice, that these are the only two who were... Um, who were Jews among the eight people who were companions with him in prison. And he makes a point of that, that there's uh, not only there's a family tie, there's a long term faith connection with these men uh, who've been around a long time in his life. The sixth man is listed there is Epaphras. <clears throat> we, we ran into him back in chapter one in the beginning time as we're going through Colossians. But Epaphras, who is one of your number, he's from Colossae, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfectly and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. So we find Epaphras referenced in chapter 1 at the beginning, where Paul acknowledges him as being from uh, Colossae. Um, he's referenced also in the, the end of uh, the letter to Philemon, uh, and that he, that, that he was in Rome with Paul. The seventh man that's listed there is Luke, the beloved physician, and that he sends, his, uh, sends you his greetings, it said to the Colossians. Um, his presence uh, with Paul in Rome is also mentioned in the letter to Philemon. And this is Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke. And the book of Acts. Luke's travel with Paul, his um, first-hand uh, uh, observer in the activities, the life, the teachings, the things that Paul did because he traveled with Paul in his missionary journeys. He joined him. Um, uh, we find in uh, in Troas uh, <clears throat> that um, it was in Paul's second missionary trip. Um, he was in Troas. Uh, this is where they made the decision to go across the Aegean Sea to Philippi. And it was on that boat that Luke joined them. And the reason I can say that to you is as you read the book of Acts, 
uh, the pronoun used throughout the, the, the whole front half of the book of Acts is he, they, them. Third person. And all of a sudden, right here in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, uh, we discover that it's no longer third person writing that Paul makes. It's now I, we, us. That he's now present with Paul and the group and the rest of the travels and the rest of the book of Acts, uh, even in his time in prison. And um, Luke remained with Paul the rest of all of his travels and while he was in Rome in prison. And in Second Timothy 4, again, Paul's last letter, uh, he says, Luke is the only one with me. The faithfulness of man to the very end. And then he names an eighth man, and that's uh, Demas, um, <clears throat> also mentioned in Philemon. And sadly, in Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul says of Demas, He, having loved this present world, has deserted me. After naming the eight who were with him in Rome, Paul named some of the Colossae area who were fellow workers. Um, and a little geographic uh, perspective may be helpful to you. This is a map of uh, Turkey, the Mediterranean area. And the boxed area that shows up is in the next slide uh, that you see here. This is a map of southwest Turkey. shows uh, Ephesus and Colossae. Uh, the two red circled, and it's about 120 miles between the two of them, just to give you a little sense of travel time that's involved. And there at Colossae, in the, the next picture you have here, is a map of the Lycus River Valley and the city of Colossae. You'll see Colossae and then Laodicea, then Heropolis. Um, these are uh, all named in this letter uh, to the Colossians. And I found it interesting in my just search of history of that time that about 60 A.D., about the same time this letter was sent, I'm going to guess it happened after, but I don't know, but uh, sometime in the ballpark of 60 A.D., uh, there was a great earthquake in that whole region, and it destroyed the city of Laodicea. And that was what gave rise uh, or, uh, to Colossae, excuse me, destroyed Colossae, and that gave rise to the city of Laodicea and Heropolis. And it was still on a major trade route uh, uh, for the Romans, particularly during that time. And Paul's fellow workers in Colossae and Laodicea, um, he had fellow workers everywhere he went. Ministry mission is not a Lone Ranger activity. Neither is the church. It's all about believers in the area gathered, serving each other for the sake of the church and her mission to the world. That's why you're here. I know that many of you enjoy some very close social relationships, community. You feel family here. You've been here a lot of years. Don't ever take comfort in that in itself alone. Can Paul be an example to us at all? A man forgiven by God. A man forgiven by Jesus whom he persecuted. A man who killed those who followed Jesus that he would find the grace of God in his heart and his life to forgive him and to call him to work, to ministry. And to see what God did through Paul in spite of himself. God's given us a mission. And it's a world that doesn't know him. I ache in my heart 
when I hear and even when I personally think what a corrupt world I live in. It is so immoral. But on the other hand, I have to stop and look back at the last 50 years of history of the church in the U.S. And we've cloistered ourselves. We've created a safe place, a boundary around us that excluded everybody else. And we lost our influence. We've not been light in the world. We've not taken the risk of a heart of a Paul or his fellow workers. I said, lift your heart and your eyes to the Lord. And say, God, what am I here for? What am I about? I'm here to reach a world. I'm here to be salt and light. I'm here to be an influence on a world that's corrupt, that's dark. I can do that in nothing less than my prayer. Epaphras in prison with Paul. His devotion and service to to the Colossian church that he helped found was in prayer. Speak of your faith. Live your faith. Show concern and interest and demonstrate that love. Let people see your good works and glorify the, the Father who is in heaven. Be light in your neighborhood. Be light where you work. Be light at school. Be light in your family. Don't let the Satan, the the ugly evil one, the liar, the deceiver, don't let him discourage you, take you down and say you can't, you're not not able, you're, you're not pure enough, you don't know enough, you don't, just tell him to get out of here. He's a defeated foe. He runs around like a roaring lion whom he may devour, but all he's got is a roar. He's defeated. Live a life in trust and faith in him. Be a fellow worker together here for the sake of the kingdom. I used to read through the letters and I'd see the list of people and I treated them like genealogies. I skipped them. And because I had to go through Colossians, I said, well, why don't you take this serious, Ed? And so I started looking at the lives of these men. And I said, that's what I've tried to share with you this morning. I say, there's some models here for us. Can we live like this in our life as a church and as a part of that church? Uh, I'm going to move with you here. Uh, In uh, verse 15, he says, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. The only other reference to Laodicea in the New Testament you're going to find in the book of Revelation it's one of the seven churches of uh, Asia that uh, John and his the vision that was given to John in writing the, the book of Revelation included this church, Laodicea. And it, this is the church that it's referenced that it's neither hot nor cold. And I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. That's what the Lord said. And this is also the church where Jesus said, let me in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door. And let me in. We'll sit down and have a feast. I use this uh, statement often in reference to people who are outside of faith. Just open the door of your heart and let, let Jesus in. But the statement was made to a church. That was neither hot nor cold, nor had any room for Jesus. And he just said, would you let me in? We'll sit down and we'll have a feast. We'll have communion together. And 
And then there was the church of Nympha. This is the only place where she's mentioned here, but it's a significant one because she's the one who opened her home for the gathering of the Laodicean believers. It's the church in her house. She had the gift of hospitality and she demonstrated it, exercised it. Verse 16, when this letter is read among you, have it also read uh, to the church of Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. The writings of the New Testament were distributed widely among the churches. Uh, This vast number of people familiar with the scriptures helped authenticate the writings in the first place. Uh, This Colossian letter was to be shared with the Laodiceans, who you saw was about 10 miles away in the map I gave you there. Uh, The letter... From Laodicea is likely the letter to the Ephesians, uh, to the church in Ephesus that was to be passed on as the letter to Colossae was. So it's not a missing, I don't think it's a missing letter. That was, Paul wrote a letter just to the Laodiceans, but it was the letter to Ephesus that was being passed. And then he said to a man, uh, uh, Archippus, Uh, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. He's uh, also mentioned in Philemon. And in Philemon, Paul calls him our fellow soldier. And here, Paul charges him not to neglect the ministry that he has in the church. That's a good call to all of us. What's the door that God's given us? What gifts and abilities he has given us? And I'm just tired. I don't want to do any more. Can I get up and do can I just be a part? You know, that there is a time. I'm, I'm coming close. There's a time when I'm too tired. But uh, I often have to, in the morning, look in the mirror and say, suck it up, let's go. <laughs> and uh, God does amazing things. And he's ready to do that with all of us. And Archippus needed a, a kick here. Take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. And it concludes with, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. And just as we've seen the variety of people who have worked with Paul for the kingdom of God, these are not the only ones who have been fellow workers in history. All those have served side by side as fellow workers for the gospel for these past 2,000 years. have been faithful to God and faithful to the call of Jesus in their life to take his love, his grace, and his mercy, his forgiveness to a world that doesn't know. My last thoughts to you there. You have all the references in your notes. We here today are fellow workers in Norwalk. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's his church and he's doing the work. And he's granted to us a role and a place in that. For just as we've been, we have many members in one body, as in a hand, arms, feet, legs, all the members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We belong to each other in the body of Christ. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. What do you know is a gift? What's the motivation in your heart and your life? Are you using it? Are you engaged with it? You're too busy. 
Well, what can you stop doing so you can do what God's called you to do? Now, that's a message I don't like because I want to do everything. But God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. He has placed us here. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. God has given people here to this body to help you, equip you to do the work in this body, to do the ministry. You're looking for a senior pastor? Don't hire somebody to do the work that God's called you to do. Hire someone who can join you. Be a part of the body under the leadership of Jesus. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. He is why we are here. And it's from Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. You're all part of the joint. You're a joint in the body of Christ. And we all supply according to the proper working of each individual part. We have a role. And that causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We are his church. We are his family, his temple, his body, his bride. And we're designed to live and serve together in our love for Jesus and each other and our world. comes pretty simple. But it takes an action on our part to do it. And don't lose your theme verse for the year. Out of Colossians chapter 3 verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed... Do all in the name of the Lord. Do it for him. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. Father, thank you for these moments. Uh, Thank you for these weeks that we've been able to share together here and reflect on what you prompted in uh, Paul and his mind and the letter he sent to Colossians and how much this message is designed for us, Lord. I just thank you for the work of your spirit, your application to it in our own hearts and lives. I thank you, Lord, for this body. I thank you for the people, Lord, that you have placed here. All who you have called to yourself have done your work of grace and dwelt by your Spirit. The Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Lord, help us not to ever think small of ourselves, little of ourselves, because of the limitations we feel and not lose track of the fact that the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Help us, Lord, not to lose track of that. Give us a glimpse, Lord, of what could possibly happen in our life and through our life because of you and our willingness to yield and be obedient to you. Help us, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you're merciful, you're gracious. I thank you that you pursue us consistently. You're patient, but you don't let up. And I'm just grateful, Lord. And I thank you for the good work that's yet to be done here in this city, in this area, and in our lives. And I thank you in Jesus. Amen.